Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future Brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Hi, let's talk about Pro Plan Sport. Pro Plan Sport is advanced nutrition made to fuel strength and stamina in active dogs like yours. So wherever your next journey together takes you, Started off right with the high-performance fuel your dog needs to keep pushing you every step of the way. Pro Plan Sport. Learn more at ProPlansport.com. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. The Volume. Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You put it off long enough, it's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort, performance tires for sporty handling, all-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Vredestein tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. Doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin to see their Vredestein test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. 
Thank you to our friends at Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the 2024 Colin Coward Show. Panini America delivers a premier collecting experience with the most sought-after NFL, NBA, FIFA, and WNBA trading cards. Whether you're chasing rookie sensations or collecting timeless legends, Panini's got it. Panini America is also breaking new ground in NIL, featuring some of the biggest names in college sports. And now newly minted first-round picks like number one overall Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese, J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and more. If you're into cutting-edge digital collectibles, don't miss Panini's NFT platform at nft.paniniamerica.net with some of their first opportunities to collect this year's rookie class. Whether you're a collector of physical cards or a digital enthusiast, Panini has you covered. Check out their most popular brands like Prism, Select, Donruss, and more, including Panini Instant Cards celebrating the biggest sports moments on cards right after they happen such as Draft Night Instance. Visit PaniniAmerica.net or download the Panini Direct app today. Panini America, the official trading cards and NFTs of the Colin Cowherd Show. All right. Hello, everybody, and thank you again for joining us on another college football recap, one of my favorite shows to do, kind of the the solo riff version uh, of the J-Boy Show that you can catch every weekday, 3 to 4 Eastern, that's 2 to 3 Central, live only on the Volume YouTube channel. Uh, and obviously, as you know, if you're listening to this, we release the audio on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, it's 6 Eastern. That's 5 Central as well. And another great weekend of college football. You know, we called this Slate Sneaky Saturday. And we called it that for a reason. I mean, there were some games that, that maybe weren't as hyped as the last couple of weeks, but typically those end up being the best, and and we were not disappointed this weekend. And I want to jump right into it. We're gonna we're gonna open the scope a little bit. We're gonna talk SEC. We're gonna talk national landscape, uh, and a little bit of playoff action. And then, you know, what we saw in Knoxville at the end of the game with Lane Kiffin. That's just something that that can't happen. That I do want to touch on. But first, let's start where game day went. You know, let's start Georgia Kentucky. This is a game uh, that was billed as a very physical game. Uh, that's what we ended up seeing. Uh, when you look at the overall kind of kind of archetype of of who Georgia is, it, it really played out in this game. You know, I said on social media, Georgia's kind of like gravity. They just lean on you and lean on you, and all of a sudden you look up uh, and you're down twenty eight to seven, and and you didn't even realize that it was hitting you or you were down that much just because of the style of play that Georgia plays. Now, I'm not saying you don't feel it or, or you don't uh, know that they're able to, to run the ball with success, but it's not super flashy. Uh, but in not being super flashy, it's not very risky. You don't see Georgia turning the ball over a lot, even though the biggest play in the game to me was early when Kendall Milton went and, and recovered the uh, so-called fumble from Stetson Bennett with his arm going forward when Jacquez Jones was sitting there looking at the ball, and it truly was a fumble. Uh, you know, we talk about awareness, situational awareness, something that Mark Stoops addressed. Uh, that was a huge play. But again, you, you look at the overall numbers. I mean, Stetson Bennett, another very consistent outing, 14-20, to 20, 250 yards, three touchdowns. There's a couple throws, especially intermediate that I'm sure that he would want back. But Georgia, at the end of the day, did what Georgia does. I mean, it, it wasn't sexy. James Cook had 51 yards on six totes. Uh, Zeus White had uh, 46 yards on 12 carries and a touchdown. Kendall Milton had 33 on four. And then you had Stetson uh, with three carries for 22. And 
it was just very balanced across the board. And when you have a defense like Georgia has it, and if you watch, they really didn't mix it up a ton defensively with Kentucky on offense, but the but their offense, I mean, Brock Bowers again to me is starting to really emerge as what looks like one of, if not the best tight ends in the country uh, with five catches, 101 yards, two touchdowns, just does a really good job of, of snatching the ball out of the air, protecting the ball. He's able to get in and out of breaks. He's able to use his body to go up and get it. And he's just such a solid target at that size uh, that Kentucky really, when it came down to it, just ran out of gas on defense. And on the other coin, when you look at Kentucky offensively, I thought Will Levis wasn't bad. I mean, he he hit it a pretty good clip. I mean, 32 of 42 is nothing to sneeze at against this defense. Had almost 200 yards and two touchdowns. But you don't get the big plays against Georgia. You don't get the, oh, th- there goes there goes Chris Rodriguez for 75 yards. Or, uh, you know, th- there goes uh, Wondell Robinson for, for a, a 65-yard touchdown. They make you earn it. They tackle well in space. They do the little things, whether it's the outside on the perimeter, whether it's the interior on the defensive line, the front seven, the safety position, that they just don't give you the big play. And when you don't get that, it gets frustrating. And then you look up and you feel like you've played good on offense, but you look at the scoreboard and you only have seven points. I still think, and I will continue to say, I do not see a team out there, including Alabama, and I'll get to them in a second, that's going to score more than 24 points against Georgia because they don't give up the big play. They shut down the run, and they don't give up the big play. And and before we move on, I do want to give a shout-out to Liam Cohen. I thought he called a really good game for Kentucky, especially in the red zone. He really emptied the bag, whether you had that little fullback hide. Uh, you saw some some reverse action, some fake reverse action with some throwback, and really an NFL-style uh, tight end play in the red zone, which is one of the only ways you're going to score when you get in the red zone against Georgia. I mean, you get shut out two out of four quarters, and then the other two quarters you scored seven in the second, and you scored six in the fourth. You're just not going to be able to stack drives and big plays and multiple touchdown quarters against this defense. That's what makes them special. And Stetson keeps operating. And you heard Kirby Smart say before the game, Stetson's been taking the reps with the ones. Carson Beck's been taking the reps with the twos. JT's been able to take a couple more reps with the threes. But I'm just very interested to see the timeline on this JT Daniels situation because it was another week. It was another good win for Georgia. And they keep stacking them on top of each other. You look around the rest of the conference, uh, Alabama and Mississippi State. This is a game we had Mike Leach on. We talked about it. Uh, Alabama does not lose back-to-back games often, if ever, under Nick Saban. You really have to go back, and you knew the whole week, whether it was the players policing themselves in the locker room, whether it was the the shift in not calling the the defense, but uh, adding a few more, I, I guess you could say, voices in the room with Freddie Roach and that Alabama defense. And look, this Mississippi State offense was a, was a good matchup for Alabama because where has Alabama struggled? Go back to the Florida game. Go back to the A&M game. The front seven against the run. Well, to quote Austin Powers, the run game isn't exactly Mississippi State's bag, baby. It's not. They, they have the modified runs with the short passing game, and you saw that. 
But Mississippi State, and I'll get back to Alabama in a second, made the cardinal sin when you play an Alabama team. You can't turn the ball over, and you definitely can't turn the ball over early. You saw that. They came out. They were hitting on some of the quick game. And then you have an underthrown ball from Will Rogers, who I thought, you know, had three to four throws that that he would tell you he really wanted back. I know he threw for 300 yards, but I don't think he had a very good performance. Uh, But you can't turn the ball over and, and give Alabama not only that field position, but that momentum early. Alabama needed some momentum early. Not that they weren't going to win the game, but to win the game emphatically and to come back the way that they did coming off an A&M performance uh, where, you know, you look at you look at them defensively and, and that was the story of the game. I mean, you score 38 points at Alabama, you should win the game. But the defense needed that momentum early and you saw Alabama take advantage of it. 14 in the first, 7 in the second, 14 in the third, 14 in the fourth. You're going to win a whole hell of a lot of games by scoring double-digit touchdowns three out of four quarters. And they dominated the game. I mean, you, you hold Will Rogers to 35 of 55, 300 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, and the run game is really non-existent for Mississippi State. That's why I wonder... You know, will, will they ever have any consistency at Mississippi State? Not saying that, that you have to run it 70 times a game. I, I'm not saying that you have to even be 60-40 pass to run or run to pass. But it's pretty obvious what Mississippi State wants to do. And I think Coach Leach, a guy we have on the show all the time, does a really good job with the air raid. I just wonder the long-term success of what they're trying to do there over the course of of – three, four, or five seasons and, and just being competitive in the West. Because, again, they're not going to compete for the West this year. And you do have to take your hats off to Alabama, and and I get it. Uh, but I just wonder about the system. Uh, you know, Jordan Wally had six catches, 64 yards. I mean, you, you really didn't well, – when you look at this performance by Mississippi State and, and Alabama let them make mistakes – I mean, it, it was something where you go three in the first quarter, three in the second quarter, three in the third quarter, goose egg in the fourth. You don't score a touchdown at home. This matchup was really good for Bama's defense, but you still have to go out there and play. And Will Anderson Jr. talked about it. You know, they wanted to put that loss behind them, and they did. You had Coach Saban coming out saying nobody views them as a lead, all this, that, and the other, getting his guys all gassed up, uh, and they needed it. They needed it. And Bryce Young, who I thought didn't play nearly as bad as what people were making out against A&M. I mean, the guy must do for 400 yards. All he does is come out and go 20 of 28 for, for 354 touchdowns uh, and, and did a decent job on the ground, too, at three carry, uh, six uh, carries for 18 yards. But you, re- you allowed him to not only be able to make throws on the run, not only to extend plays and get the ball to guys like Jamison Williams, get the ball to guys like Mechie that can take the ball and hit the home run at any point in time. And the more the more that I watch Jamison Williams, the more that guy looks just like Jalen Waddell. I mean, they are very strikingly similar in the way that they play, especially from a speed standpoint. I mean, Mechie ended up with seven for 117 and a touchdown, but Williams had two passes at 77 yards and a touchdown and just absolutely boat raced everybody on Mississippi State's defense on what really looked like a dig. And he came back, Bryce moved in the pocket. Uh, and again, look, Alabama's going to be able to score 
against everybody. And, and I'm not saying they won't score against Georgia. I just don't think they score over 24. But the question's still out there for Alabama. And I know Iowa lost, and I'm going to get to that. How do you match up against the few teams in the country that physically up front on offense can keep the balance of the run game, can make Henry Toa Toa and Christian Harris and those guys have to make plays in between the C gaps? We, We still have to see it. We still have to see it. And if you look around the periphery, especially in the SEC West, and you look at that schedule, there's a couple teams that do excel at running the ball. I know Arkansas has lost three SEC games in a row. I know Auburn is deficient at multiple places. But those are teams, because uh, again, you can look at A&M and say A&M was as deficient up front as anybody. I mean, LSU's running a little gap scheme now, having some success. But the jury's still out on Alabama a little bit. Not that they don't have elite players, not that they don't have elite coaches, and not that you know a loss doesn't motivate them to the fullest and Nick Saban being being the the ultimate motivator and the ultimate uh, psychologist. I just I'm still interested in seeing how Alabama matches up when they face somebody worth their salt up front on the offensive side of the ball. Now, if you watch too, Mississippi State's D-line was able to get after Bryce Young a little bit, not nearly as much as A&M was able to. But as we go down the stretch here, just watch those things. And and we've talked about it on the show. We're going to continue to talk about it. Going to have Jordan Battle coming on. He had a nice pick six. Uh, Our guys that come on weekly kind of balled a little bit yesterday. They kind of balled a little bit yesterday. And speaking about balling yesterday, I do got to give a shout out to Purdue. You know, Iowa to me, and, and we it's funny, you know, we talk about Ole Miss. And, and, and you're like, what correlation, Jake? What correlation are you making here? Well, in order to be successful, in my opinion, sustain success and thrive as the season goes on, you have to be able to win in multiple ways. You look at Ole Miss, and I thought Ole Miss's defense played well last night, but they're still not where they need to be. Ole Miss can really win in one, maybe two ways. One way is obviously the track meet, the shootout, where they just outscore you. The second one is the defense just plays okay enough. Okay enough, and the offense is good enough, and you have to play a team that's not elite. Iowa can only really win in one way. They can't go outside of their style of play and win a track meet. They can't go outside of their their style of play and be able to say, okay, well, you know, we're down 14 or we're down 17, but we have the offense and we have the playmakers, even though I, I love the Goodson kid. I think he's a Sunday guy. They can't go outside of that realm of playing really fundamental base football, low scoring, uh, you know, have to stay close to ahead the whole game. Penn State, Clifford went out. They were able to score late at home. But if you look, Iowa's kind of a one-trick pony. And they don't have really a guy, and and Goodson can make big plays, but if teams take Goodson away and they're able to focus on him, Iowa's not able to really find other ways to win. It's the NCAA basketball theory I talk about all the time. Which teams are the ones that are able to move on and advance the most consistently in college basketball in the NCAA tournament? They're the teams that can win in multiple ways. Whether it's a rock fight and it's low scoring, 
whether it's a transition game, whether it's just an absolute shootout with the three ball. The more ways that you can win and the more versatile you are as a team, not just offense, not just defense, not just special teams, but complementary, the better chance you have of thriving as the season goes on, the better chance you have of being able to win the games where you may not be playing great, where one side of the ball may not be playing great. That's what you saw from Iowa. It finally caught up to them. And Purdue just does this. It's funny. It seems to me that that Purdue's kind of a somewhat of a giant slayer, even though I don't think Iowa was a giant. And this is going to happen eventually to Iowa. It was going to happen. When you play that style and you can't win in multiple ways, somebody sneaks up and bites you. And once Iowa went down double digits, you saw their pace change offensively. You saw them get out of the comfort zone. And they were really playing to what Purdue wanted them to do. They said, okay, Petrus, beat us. Beat us. Come back and beat us. And he couldn't. So that's huge in the playoff scheme. I'll hit on that a little bit at the end as, as we're looking at what seems to be uh, a chaotic, and I love it, a chaotic playoff picture right now, which is how it should be, which is how it should be. Now, let me tell you how it shouldn't be. And I want to preface this by saying those Tennessee fans, there is most Tennessee fans, 98% of Tennessee fans, unbelievably loyal fan base. Unbelievably loyal. Neyland Stadium, I've coached there before when I was at South Alabama. It's an unbelievable atmosphere. But what we saw last night at the end of the game with Lane Kiffin, and you can hate Lane Kiffin. You can be mad at what he did, what happened at Tennessee, and this, that, and the other. But there is no excuse for what happened in that stadium with people throwing golf balls, mustard bottles. Because think about it. There's 220, 230 people down there that had nothing to do with that spot. It's okay to be angry at the spot. It's okay to yell at the ref from the stands. But once you start putting people in danger, I mean, there's kids that are on the sidelines that, that get to go down there and watch the game sometimes. Why? Why? And and listen, I've I've gone out and I've had a good time, and and we've all had a few too many sometimes. But you got to snap back to reality a little bit. And here's the part that you don't understand: not only is that just a horrible look for the university, but what do you think those recruits' parents at this game that Coach Heupel and them, and I hurt for the players and coaches at Tennessee as much as anybody. It's not their fault. What do you think those recruits' parents think who came to that game or are watching that game on TV? What do you think Walter Nolan's parents think? And you want Tennessee to be back? That's not it. And to the fans that were throwing stuff on the field and throwing golf balls, you really need to reevaluate your priorities a little bit. Because right when that golf ball leaves your hand, you're taking a risk that if something were to happen, 
you could spend a lot of time in jail. So to the Tennessee fans that didn't, or the Tennessee fans that were telling the other fans to stop, good for you. Good for your perspective. But for the ones who are doing it, I don't care if you're a student. I don't care if you're an 80-year-old person. It's ridiculous, and it was embarrassing. And I'm very interested to see the repercussions. And it took away from what was a hell of a game. That's one of the saddest parts. And I want to get to the game, and I don't want to linger on this, and we'll talk about this a little bit during the week. But I want to get to one of the most gutsy performances that I've seen. Matt Corral, to me, is the Heisman favorite right now, and, and I don't think it's even, even that close. If you watched him last night, it wasn't clicking on all cylinders. And if you go back and watch early, they had a ton of drops. They had more drops than a goodwill. Braylon Sanders goes down. So Matt Corral said, all right, I'm probably not going to throw for 400 tonight. He ended up throwing for 231, two touchdowns, and, and had the pick. He said, I'll just run it 30 times for 195 yards. Gutsy. Looked like he hyperextended his knee late, came back in the game. But when you watched the, that game from the outside in, and Tennessee did a really good job coming back. Hendon Hooker fought his guts out, 17-26, 233 and a touchdown. Tennessee made no adjustments to what was hurting them defensively. QB draw? We're not stunting the front. Just an easy swing pass to the back. I mean, I was shocked that you didn't see more kind of player or, or more alignment adjustments. Because here's the thing. When you watch the way that Ole Miss's backs align, go back and watch that. Here's a little thing. We talk about winning the water cooler, right? Here's a little thing to go look. Look at the width of Ole Miss's running back's alignment on the swing. A running back's alignment will tell you a lot of things. A lot of things. That's why, to me, the pistol is one of the deadliest alignments in football because there's not a ton of tendencies out of the pistol if you run it enough. But if you look at where the back is aligned, if you look at where where the, running, the, the width of it, if you see, we used to look, hey, is his toes even with the quarterback's toes? You really, you really got to look at zone read here. Are his toes on the uh, the heels of the quarterback. How wide is his alignment? That will tell you a ton. And Tennessee never made that adjustment. They never did it. And every time Ole Miss needed a play, every time they needed one, they would go back to those two plays. Now, now some of the rushing, and Matt Corral did a really good job, and this is something we talk about as well, recognizing man and taking off. But a lot of it was design stuff. I mean, it wasn't like Ole Miss just blew them out of the water passing and they just ran up and down the field. Hell, the over-under was 83 and a half. And this, the final score, it was a total of 57 points. I mean, Drummond, after Braylon went down, Drummond had two catches for 66 yards and a touchdown. Jackson had two catches for 42 yards and a touchdown. No, It wasn't a huge game through the air. And then you look on the other side, Tennessee didn't have a receiver go over 100 yards. You had one receiver with a touchdown. That was Tillman. That was Tillman. Bayless had six for 93, had a good game. And then you look at the rushing, Hendon Hooker, the quarterbacks, guys, the quarterbacks combined for 303 rushing yards 
on only 53 carries. On only 53 carries. And Ole Miss was able to hang on at the end. The defense was able to come through. And if you're Joe Milton, you have to throw the ball, man. You have to throw the ball. You can't go down at the 20, scrambling past the line of scrimmage as time expires. You wonder why you're not the guy. That was a bonehead play. And the play before, you almost catch a touchdown pass? Or throw a touchdown pass? That can't happen. And that was a big win for Ole Miss. And we'll, we'll see as this West plays out, and it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier because there's a lot of teams that control their own destiny. A lot of them. A lot of them. Now, I do want to touch on Cincinnati real quick, and I do want to send, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we saw the story about Gus Malzahn having to leave the, not leave the game early, but get on the private jet, go home. His, his daughter just had a child, had to go back in the hospital. Great to hear that she's okay. That's way bigger than a game. Way bigger than a game. Uh, the game, if you did watch Cincinnati, they just dominated UCF from the jump, a game that, that we bet on. We had basically surrounded. And Cincinnati, to me, Right now, you have to put them as the number two best team in the country. Now, would they beat Alabama? No. No. Are there a couple teams out there that, you know, do I think they could beat Georgia? No. But I think the rest of the field is open enough that Cincinnati could. And that's not saying Alabama is as invincible as Georgia. I just don't see it. I just don't see it. Could Cincinnati beat Michigan State? I think they could. I think they could, and it shows you the parity around college football. And, and you look at Desmond Ritter, uh, a guy that, that to me may be the best quarterback prospect outside of Matt Corral in the country coming out this year. And a guy that should be, be a legitimate contender for the Heisman. But, but I thought Cincinnati continues to handle business. And Luke Fickle just has his guys prepared every week. You know, we talk about Saban, and we talk about Kirby, and this, that, and the other. Those guys at Cincinnati don't take the rat poison either. They're good up front. They're organized up front. You don't see a ton of procedural penalties. You don't see late hits. You don't see anything outside of we are going to handle our business. We're going to get off this bus. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. We're not going to bust coverages. We're going to stay in our pass rush lanes. Our linebackers' eyes are going to be good. On the offensive side, we're going to do a really good job on our combo blocks, working up to the backers. Desmond's going to sell the play action. We can boot. We can waggle. The intermediate game's good. The vertical game's good. The short game's good. We have somewhat of an intricate screen game, and we have guys like Ford that can hit the home run. Bama transfer. Cincinnati is a pretty complete team. And that's the best compliment I think that you can give a coach. It's not that, oh, man, the offense is really good. Man, y'all are daggum good on defense. It's like, coach, y'all have a complete team. We have to prepare for all three phases. It's complementary football. And that's what Cincinnati plays. And that's what makes them scary. It's the truth. And speaking of scary... The Auburn team that got off that bus yesterday in what ended up being a hell of a game, especially late, you look at the final score and you say, man, you know, Auburn won by 15. They must have dominated. Eh. It was it was back and forth. Oh, Nix has found something. The team that got off the bus yesterday for Auburn was a different team than we've seen, and we've talked about it on the show. The wide receivers had been deficient. 
dropping the ball. I mean, lead, almost leading the country in drops. Like, this isn't something we're just making up. The offensive line we know is not elite. The defensive line struggled with a pass rush. But you learned a couple things about Auburn yesterday. There was a wake-up call in the wide receiver room. Bo Nix is, is a legitimate quarterback, and he was on time. Whether it was getting into his drop, whether it was going through his progression, whether it was deciding to run, whether it was deciding to throw the check down, he was on time. And when you're on time, everything flows better. Not that that was the only reason Auburn was struggling. Again, the drops were a problem. But the biggest thing we learned about Auburn yesterday was on defense. They are a four-down team. They've been playing a lot of three-down. you got to mix it up and this, that, and the other. But when they went four-down, the game changed. The game changed. They were starting to get pressure. The run lanes were still a little bit open because I thought the interior defensive line didn't play very well. But what you saw was they looked more comfortable. And I would not be shocked if you saw Auburn go to a heck of a lot more four down. And if you look at the numbers, Knicks was 21 to 26, 300 yards, two touchdowns a pick. KJ Jefferson, 21 35, 228, and two touchdowns. See, KJ to me never really got comfortable. And what does that mean? Struggled a little bit throwing on the run, those intermediate throws, those wide throws, the outside the hash throws. We've talked about a ton. But they took away kind of something that gets him in rhythm. When K.J. Jefferson is running effectively, it's amazing how the pass follows it. And, and I love to use baseball analogies. It's like the guy that makes a great play in the field tends to get a hit the next time up. It just happens like that. But K.J. wasn't really able to run effectively. I mean, he had 18 carries for 66 yards. That's under four a carry. That's not what he's used to. That's not the, the balance uh, that they use the run game for. And you look at the fourth and threes and the third and fives that they weren't, they weren't able to get. And now all of a sudden, KJ's saying, okay, well, I guess I got to throw, throw us to it. And Traylon Burks, who's, a, a, to me, a round one receiver, had nine catches for 110 and two touchdowns. He's your bailout guy. If you look beyond that, have a ton of we other weapons at wide receiver. Morris only had three catches for 32 yards. You don't have a ton of other threats. So it's almost like when we talked about Ole Miss versus Bama and Braylon Sanders was the only threat on the outside for Ole Miss, then I said, all right, we'll stop the run and take him away and then here you're going to go to. And that's what you saw happen down the stretch at Arkansas. But Auburn also started to bring pressure. Something we haven't seen a lot. It's been the bend, but try and don't break, but but we're going to break. Auburn is a four-down defense, and Auburn controls its own destiny. And you start to get confident, and you start to think you have a chance, and you start to think that, hey, we can win out. Now, will they be able to play that and recreate that every week? Well, we'll see. That's the trick for everybody. But you're, you're starting to believe a little bit if you're Auburn. Got Ole Miss at home. Got to go to A&M, to Mississippi State. Got Bama at home. So it's it's going to get interesting down the stretch. It's going to get very, very interesting. But you have to take your hat out to Brian Harson, Bo Nix, you know, 
Because again, coming off a tough Georgia loss, physical Georgia loss, going on the road to an Arkansas team that had to have it. And if you're Arkansas, and we've talked about this, if you're Arkansas, the, the last two games, we've said, listen, Arkansas fans, I, I wouldn't be upset you're playing with house money. You're not playing with house money anymore. And Sam Pittman uh, is a great coach. And I don't worry about Sam Pittman. But you, it, it's, it's like your carriage turned into a pumpkin. It's what it looks like to me. Like, like we have a, 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 a Cinderella situation going on. You know, Texas got you excited. A&M told you what you thought you knew. Now you're kind of questioning what you thought you knew. But you have the personnel. You have the quarterback. Look, K.J. Jefferson's a stud. K.J. Jefferson's a stud. You were down Catalan, a couple guys. They took advantage of Slusher early. They, they hit Javarius Johnson on that deep over. Great throw by Bo Nix. But, you know, you, you, look, you look at it if you're Arkansas. And you look at the schedule. You got Mississippi State at home. You're at LSU and what's a huge game. You're at Bama and you have Missouri at home. You got Pine Bluff next. I mean, you're at least going three and two over those last three games. At least. At least. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. That's not what you were feeling after these early games. It's not. Got all the way up to the top 10. But don't worry, Sam Pittman's going to get you back there. He's going to get you back there. And, and I do, you know, <clears throat> kind of looking again at, at the outside landscape. You look at Michigan State, right? And I know we're bouncing around here, but look, it's college football, baby. It's the recap. That's how we do it. Michigan State, ranked number 10 in the country. Mel Tucker. A lot of people saying Mel Tucker to LSU. I'm still, guys, I'm still telling you this one's going to get interesting because Edo, in my opinion, I'm going to get to LSU in a second, but I do want to give a shout-out to Mel Tucker and Michigan State. Was it beautiful? No. Does Michigan State play beautiful football? No. Would they score probably three, maybe ten points against an elite defense like Georgia? Yes. I don't see them scoring ten. But, man. That guy has turned that place around. He really has. And that is a true... Th that game versus Indiana was one of the most Big Ten games I've ever seen. One of the most Big Ten games I've ever seen. It was gap scheme on gap scheme. Short play action pass. Run a trick play here or there. Some big hits. Close calls. Kenneth Walker wasn't brilliant. Wasn't the... The illuminating force that he typically is with 84 yards and no touchdowns, he did enough. But Michigan State did, did, did what Michigan State does. And they have done this year. They've won, and, and it's been ugly. And there's a lot of similarities to Iowa, guys. I mean, look, eventually somebody's going to jump up and bite Michigan State. And then you look at the other side of the state with Michigan also being undefeated. It's a cool time to be a Michigan football fan right now. Just a football fan in the state of Michigan. Let me put it that way. But it's also a fun time to be a Michigan fan, at least for right now. And we'll see. The jury's still out. But I still don't see a dominant Big Ten team. Ohio State and C.J. Stroud, I get it. you got to do it against somebody that's, that, that's good. I'm not going to believe it until you do it against somebody that's good. It's what I kind of said about Tennessee a little bit. 
okay, I've, I've seen you boat race Missouri. I've seen you beat South Carolina to death on national TV. But I've got to see it against somebody that if you punch, they're going to punch back. I have to see it. And I don't see it out of the Big Ten. And to be honest with you, I don't see it out of the Pac-12. And I don't see it out of the ACC for damn sure. And really, and, and I'll get to Oklahoma in a second, it shows you that the landscape of college football and the parody, which I love, is at an all-time high. And we go back to the super seniors, right? The older guys who got an extra year because of COVID. And now is that a trend that's going to start? Well, they're not going to let them come back for a seventh year. But you wonder about the transfer portal. Because all you have to do is just get over the hump a little bit and say, all right, come over here. All-American defensive end. We may be a couple pieces away. We can go out in the portal and get those. And now we're able to recreate success, which helps us sustain success. And is that not the goal? Is that not the goal of every team? Is that not the goal of every business? Is that not the goal of every marriage? To sustain success. And I think, you know, teams like Kentucky and, and you look around the country, I think that's something that, that when you look three or four years down the road and you're like, man, these guys are still relevant outside of recruiting well, especially up front, is something that's very important and something that, that we'll continue to see have an effect. And, and as we scope around the country and, and we look at, at right before I get to this Ford LSU game, I do want to say, and I'm not going to stick on it because Missouri's not a good football team. Good for Texas A&M hopping back in the ring after beating Alabama and showing up and doing what they should have done against Missouri. Spiller had 168. You know, Calzada wasn't beautiful with 150, but he didn't have to be. I've said it for weeks. Missouri's defense could not tackle an elephant in a phone booth. They have one of the worst front sevens on defense in college football, and I'll give you perspective. We watched uh, Marshall play North Texas. Friday. North Texas, one of the most undisciplined teams in the country. Outside of Torrey, the running back, not a good football team. Dropped 35 on Missouri. Dropped 35 on them. And hit big plays. Missouri's not a good football team. But A&M, you still have to show up and you still have to play. And they moved to 5-2, and 2-2 two, two and two in the SEC. Now they have to hope for a Bama loss and stuff to go their way. But it was a great bounce back. I mean, you came out and you just punched him right in the mouth. He scored 21 in the first quarter. Then you went 7-7-0. But Missouri scored a touchdown in the second, touchdown in the third. And Goose Egg, the, force in the first and the fourth. And then Spiller and A-Chain ran all over you and you controlled the tempo and the clock. That was a quick game. That was a quick game. Land the plane, get to the hotel, let's talk about it. Let's go beat him up. Let's get back on the plane uh, and let's get out of here. And we'll see on A&M. We'll see. We'll continue to look at it because this team, to me, as the offensive line gains more and more confidence, becomes a little more dangerous. That's been their problem, right? Balance. Now you come back, you play a South Carolina team at home. It's not very good. Just snuck by Vanderbilt. Then you have a huge matchup with what should be a ranked Auburn. And then you go to Ole Miss. And then you end the year at LSU. 
Man, there's some great matchups. <laughs> some fantastic matchups. And you got to love college football. And you got to love the somewhat chaos that we're seeing. And speaking of chaos, what is going on at Florida? I'll tell you what's going on. It's what we said during the offseason. It's what we said coming into this year. Emory Jones is exactly who we thought he was. He's exactly who we thought he was. And now that Anthony Richardson's healthy, and you can say hindsight and this, that, and the other, but you obviously haven't been watching the show if you think that, and I'm going to get to Florida's defense, but Anthony Richardson has to be the guy. He has to be the guy. He's the future, and if you don't watch out, and if you keep trying to just make Emory Jones happy, you're going to lose Anthony Richardson, I'm telling you. He's going to leave. He's going to leave. And offensively, you know, that wasn't even the biggest problem for Florida. But Emory Jones does not know what he's looking at from a coverage standpoint. He doesn't. I watched him look off two wide open touchdowns where the first read was the touchdown. Because it's easy to look back and say, oh, well, I'm looking at the other side of the field. While you're looking at the side of the field, you're supposed to be reading first, and I can see that guy's open. That's one thing. That's totally separate. But when you look and you're looking at the side you're supposed to be reading, and you should be seeing the guy that's breaking open that was schemed up for a touchdown, and you don't throw it, not only do you not throw it, you don't take off and get yards. Not only do you not take off and get yards, you throw the ball over the middle and get a pick six. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. Now that Anthony Richardson's healthy, he needs to be the guy. And if Emory Jones wants to transfer, that's fine. Or go play receiver. He is not a, a above average SEC or high level college football quarterback. He's just not. And he's shown it to you. When are you going to start believing him, Dan? When? Probably now, because you're feeling it. You're 2-6 and six in your last Power 5 games with wins over Tennessee and Vanderbilt. I know you won the East last year, and everybody talks about 2019 and Edo and the Natty. And, and look, Edo's, uh, I'm going to get to that in a second. But if Dan Mullen doesn't watch out, that, that seat is going to get very, very hot. I mean, the seat warmer's already on. You're already getting in the car and sitting down and going, ooh, a little, little crispy there. And the season's not over. And guess what? You got Georgia coming up that can negate AR-15's running ability? What happens then? What happens when this defense shows up? And that's the scariest part of this game. And last year, we remember, you know, the, the, the problems Florida had on defense and Todd Grantham and this, that, and the other. It's one thing to go out there and just get beat. That's one thing. You know, some, you never want to live with that, but you can live with that more than what we, we saw yesterday. There were no adjustments by Florida defensively. And let me talk about it because that's a cliche thing that some people say, and then they don't talk about what the adjustment should be. Or they say the adjustment was, oh, well, you know, you, you should have tackled better. Or, man, you should have just blitzed more. No. What we saw yesterday, and we talk about the difference between zone scheme and gap scheme in the running game. And we've even mentioned, if you go back and watch the tape, LSU running gap scheme is night and day power, counter, insert, anything that is not a zone movement. The closest thing from 
the closest zone run to a gap scheme run is split zone because you're going to seal the backside, but it's not a gap scheme run. LSU was lining up and running GT, which is when the guard and the tackle pulls. Are they running trucks when the guard and the tight end pulls? Are they running just true power, just single puller power? And Florida kept boxing everything. You say, Jake, what do you mean by boxing? There's two ways that you take on pullers or that you fight the gap scheme. And you need to have both in your arsenal. One is what you saw Florida do, and that is to box it. That is say, all right, we're going to box everything inside. You're going to come to kick us out. That's fine. I'm going to hold my leverage. I'm going to keep everything inside. And we're going to try and make the play. And then you have what we call spilling or wrong-arming. And to me, that's the best way. Or at least when the other way is not working, the way you should at least attempt. That's when, all right, somebody's coming to pull at me. I'm not going to stay here and set the edge. I'm going to go attack them with my, you know, you can call it inside. You can call it outside. I always called it outside, my outside shoulder. And I'm going to cause a pile up and I'm going to wrong arm it and make that back have to go lateral, and I'm going to let the linebacker or the safety or the nickel go over the top and make the play. Those are your two options. Florida just stuck with boxing, and here's the problem with that. The only people that should stick to just boxing are Floyd Mayweather and the gang, or Tyson Fury and the gang, Wilder and the gang. This isn't boxing. You have to be able to do multiple things because when you box it, that's typically what the offense sees all the time. They'll work a little bit against getting spilled, but most of the time they're working against teams or looks, whether it's in scout team, whether it's whatever. The way you, when you box it, that looks exactly like how it looks to them in practice. And boy, did it look like that for Davis Price who went for 36, 287, and three touchdowns. But more importantly, it looked exactly the way it always looks in practice for the offensive line. That's why it looks so easy. But Florida never adjusted. That's the scariest part. I mean, they boxed it more than an Amazon warehouse. And if you're Todd Grantham, you're shaking in your space boots this morning. And to get to the Ed Orgeron thing real quick, I think they're going to get. He's going to. They've negotiated a buyout. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he coached the rest of the year, but I wouldn't be shocked if they went ahead and let him go. Ed O is not going to be the coach at LSU last year, regardless of this win. And I was happy for him, and it showed. You know, the guys were willing to fight, and he was able to motivate, and this, that, and the other. But I don't think it's going to save him. But if you're Florida, man, you're if you're a Florida fan. You're waking up this morning, and there's a whole heck of a lot more questions than there are answers right now. And it doesn't get any easier. It does not get any easier. And if you're Dan Mullen, you know, you and Todd Grantham, you're having some legitimate discussions right now. And speaking about legitimate discussions, as we wind down here on the Sunday recap, one of my favorite things to do, uh, make sure you check us out 3 to 4 Eastern live on the Volume YouTube channel. We're talking about this every day. We have great guests, have a huge guest list this week. Uh, very excited to uh, talk a little more ball with you guys as we get through the week. There's some great matchups uh, as well. Texas. Texas, Texas, Texas. Another week, another lead, 
another loss. And you're starting to see the MO of this team is they can't finish. They can't finish. And, you know, Sark, to me, is going to get that thing turned around a little bit. Big win for Oklahoma State. That A loss is coming for Oklahoma State, though, I'm just telling you. It's coming. But Texas, still not back yet. Still not back yet. And the best teams are the ones that are able to close. And for two straight weeks, Texas has not been able to close. Now, going into next year, that's something Coach Stark's going to use, obviously. It's a motivating factor, but good for Mike Gundy. Let the mullet flow. Is Oklahoma State a legitimate title contender to meet? No. Are they a team that if they went undefeated would get a spot in the playoff? Yes. Yes. And would probably lose very handily to Georgia and would probably lose by a touchdown or more to Cincinnati. Then you look at Oklahoma. Caleb Williams, we talked about quarterback controversy, right? We talked about what was going on over there, right? Well, I don't think there's really that much of a controversy anymore. Caleb Williams goes 18 for 23, 300 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He also ran nine times for 66 yards and one touchdown. And I, I tell you what, Spencer Rattler is going to be joining Rico from Fansville in the portal pretty soon. Pretty soon. This is Caleb Williams' team. And, you know, I talked about it a little bit, and, and, you know, I reference this all the time, is that sometimes when a quarterback comes in and saves the day like that, like Caleb Williams did against Texas, they tend to struggle the next game when they start because it's just a different experience. It's different when you're the guy. And you know you're the guy all week. And you 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 prepare to be the guy. And you're taking all the reps with the one. Sometimes it takes some time. Sometimes it's a lot of pressure. You got to remember, Caleb Williams is from D.C. Recruited that area. Recruited the DMV. Those guys do not. Nothing really phases those guys. They're not worried about the moment or anything like that. It's just, it's in their DNA up there. And, you know, Lincoln Riley right now, probably smiling after what was kind of a crazy week. You know, you wonder if the student newspaper will have the binoculars out there again. Probably not. It's pretty obvious now. But Oklahoma, you know, you look at the Big 12. That Oklahoma State game's getting awfully interesting. Look at the rest of their schedule. They got at Kansas. They're going to click their heels twice and, and hit them over the head. Then they got Texas Tech at home. Baylor on the road, which could be a little weird. And then Iowa State at home. And then at Oklahoma State. Iowa State and Kansas State are just two teams that, that seem to tend to sneak up and bite Oklahoma. But if Caleb Williams can continue this momentum, man, he's fun to watch. Man, he's fun to watch. Going to be fun to watch in the SEC, too. Forget about that. But all right, kind of previewing next week. Uh, got some great games. Uh, going to start getting to a little more playoff talk uh, as, as we near what uh, seem, is, is going to be the release of the rankings, excuse me, and, and kind of see where, where the committee's thoughts are. It's crazy right now. Uh, when, you look, when you look at next weekend, outside of the SEC, you, know, you don't have a ton. You got USC and Notre Dame. Eh. You know, it hasn't been great. Ohio State at Indiana. Could be a little interesting. Indiana kind of plays ugly. But then you look at the SEC. And Cincinnati's going to go to Navy, and, and, and it shouldn't be close. 
And there's another team, too. Before I get to this, before I get to this, don't forget about Penn State. Just don't forget about them. It's a very, very interesting situation going on in the Big Ten. And guess who they have in two weeks at Ohio State? Two weeks after that, Michigan and home. And they end at Michigan State. So pretty interesting. But looking at the SEC, you've got Tennessee at Bama, which, whew, Tennessee staring four and four right at the barrel there. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. Alabama's, you know, it's it's not like that they're just going to take this take this week off, and that's going to be a night game on ESPN at seven. You've got LSU at Ole Miss, and what seems like a much more interesting game than what we thought it was going to be. Ole Miss very beat up right now, very beat up. Three thirty CBS game. Arkansas is playing Pine Bluff. Mississippi State's at Vandy. Nothing, nothing, you know, super sexy there. And then South Carolina is at AM. So is it a huge week from a slate standpoint? No, it's not a huge week. But something and some things are going to happen that we did not see coming. And that's what makes college football so great. And that's what makes sports so great. You got a good Wednesday game, Coastal Carolina, App State, if you're into that type thing, which I am. Little two lane SMU on Thursday. But I appreciate you guys joining us. Look, I, I know there's a lot of sports shows out there. And and a lot of people say that, you know, theirs is the best or or you know, they do it different or whatever. But you really need to come check us out if you haven't. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you probably already know about it or maybe somebody told you about it. You need to come check us out live, 2 to 3 Central. It's 3 to 4 Eastern. And if you can't do it or whether it's at work or whether you'd like to watch it the next day or at night, uh, check us out on YouTube as well. Uh, we're, we're growing like a weed. Uh, thanks to the volume. Uh, thanks to David Cohn, our co-host, my brother Blaine Crane, the, cro- the co-host. And I think it's something a little bit different because we make it interactive for you guys. We answer your questions. We do your comments live on the show. We, we want it to be a, a family atmosphere and a huge family. And we don't get into the, the fringe craziness that you're going to see. I'm not talking about some of the stuff that gets talked about. There's other channels that do it. We're talking ball here. We're talking about the things inside the game that help you watch the game better that help you become a better fan or a better connoisseur of what you're watching. And I want to leave you with a note that can help you. When you're watching your team next, don't watch the ball for a little bit. Watch the line of scrimmage. You'll learn a ton more about your team. You'll learn a ton more about the game. And you'll have a good idea of how it's going to end way before it ends. Plus, you see some cool stuff. And we talk about the names of blitzes, the tags, the protections, the little things that lead to the big things that you see in the highlights. So I appreciate you joining us. Make sure you do it again. Got a great show for you tomorrow. Like I said, live 3 to 4 Eastern. That's 2 to 3 Central. And it stays on there too. It stays on there on on the YouTube channel. So it's easy. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. It's been a great one, guys. Really enjoyed it. Enjoy your weekend, uh, your week, whether you're listening to this. Make sure you hug your family. Uh, and and if not, uh, if it's if it's just you kind of riding solo like me, not married yet, no kids yet, maybe soon. 
you never know. I, I hope you guys have a great week, and uh, we'll do this again next time. It's another uh, edition of The Recap, and I'll holler at y'all tomorrow. The Volume. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.